Hello and welcome to the New to Canada podcast, the show that shares honest, real-life stories and insider info from internationals living in Canada. I am your host, Kate Malcolm, and I made the big move from England to Canada in 2017 after falling in love with a Canadian. Since then, I've launched the Newcomer Collective, home of this podcast, as well as the New to Canada Academy, the step-by-step online video course that guides you through everything you need to build a new life in Canada that you love. You can learn more at thenewcomercollective.com. Join me on this show as I chat with fellow newcomers and learn all about where they are from in the world, why they chose Canada as their new home, and the lessons they've learnt along the way. It's great to have you. Hello, and a huge welcome back to myself. (laughs) Yay! I am officially on the other side of motherhood. I am back, and I am so, so excited to be here. If you're from the UK or a Love Island fan, you'll know that Molly May recently posted her birth story on YouTube after just two weeks. Well, safe to say I'm not that organized and yeah, I definitely don't have the full makeup and hair team, (laughs) but I am still in awe of her for that, you know, for the strength to get herself together, share so vulnerably so early on to so many people. I mean... Good for her. It took me a lot longer than I thought it would to to be here with you all, but I am here and I now have a beautiful eight-week-old daughter, Sienna Joy. And yeah, it's just been a total blur to say the least. Um, Yeah, but as promised, I'm here to share everything I can about my birth experience here in Canada. I know a lot of people have been asking me for it, uh, as well as my postpartum journey so far over the past eight weeks. So if you're thinking of starting a family in Canada one day and you're curious about the process yourself, or you're just here to to listen to the crazy stories that I'm about to share, here it all is. I'm so glad you're here. Let's start the show. Okay, so first off, if you're at all interested in my pregnancy experience as a newcomer to Canada, I've written a detailed blog post about the whole journey, including the differences between doctors, midwives, and doulas, which really confused me at the beginning, exactly what is and isn't covered by provincial health insurance, a breakdown of every single medical appointment and procedure that you can expect to have, or the ones I had anyway, as well as how maternity and parental leave works here in Canada as well. So check the show notes for the link for that, or you can head to thenewcomercollective.com forward slash pregnancy dash in dash Canada. That's thenewcomercollective.com forward slash pregnancy dash in dash Canada. So, my birth story. Sienna was due on May 28th, and if you follow me on Instagram, you'll have seen our fun little video of us drawing a smiley face on my big pregnant belly and me dancing around with it. And looking back at that video, it really makes me laugh now to to think about how excited and optimistic we were that she would come soon. Any day now, any moment, my waters are going to dramatically break like in the movies or I'll wake up with contractions and we'll be jumping in the car on the way to the hospital. But the the due date came and went and days and nights would come and go and absolutely nothing, nothing was happening. 
Due dates are so weird, right? They put so much pressure on the entire experience. You spend 40 weeks of your life working towards this one day in your head. You know, people ask you every day for the date again and again, and you repeat that day over and over, and it gets ingrained in you. But at the end of the day, I now believe that they should 100% give us a due week because that due date that they give you is just a complete estimate. You know, babies can come weeks before or weeks after. And yeah, when your due date does pass, like it did for us, it can it can cause a lot of stress. And for me, a, a big source of that stress was from others constantly texting me. Any news? Thinking of you? Any sign of the baby? Hope you're well? Any baby yet? Boy or girl? Let me tell you, I am never texting a pregnant woman asking for an update ever again. (laughs) Because I know that you have the best intentions, but chances are your text is landing in her inbox alongside 10 other people that day. And she already knows. She already knows she's overdue. She's already stressing. And it's just, it's just not helpful. You know, when the baby is here and when they're ready to announce it, you'll know. So, That was part one of the stress. I ended up having a mini emotional breakdown, turning my phone off and and just throwing it in a drawer for three days. And that made the world of difference. So my due date of May 28th came and went. Now, I always knew personally that I would try and let baby decide when he, she was ready. As I said, that 40 week pregnancy window that they give you is just an estimate. It could be calculated wrong in the first place. You could only be maybe 38 weeks, for example, or maybe your baby is just happy in there and wants to come out a week or two after. And I was fine with that. So I wanted to give my baby the chance to choose when they were ready. So I waited until 41 weeks and then I was called in to see my OB, which stands for obstetrician. Again, you can learn more about doctors versus midwives versus doulas in the blog post linked in the show notes of this episode. And um, yeah, my OB suggested that we start stretch and sweeps, which is a procedure where they go up and draw circles with their finger or fingers with hopes that it will strip membranes away from the womb wall, which will then release a hormone called prostaglandin, (laughs) which helps labor begin. So that's the tactic behind it. And um, yeah, with any procedure like this, it's so important to be really well informed on the pros and cons, which I was. And I decided to go ahead. And yeah, it was it was pretty uncomfortable, but you can tell them to stop when it gets too much. My OB was great. Just, yeah, if you're going to go in for that, just I would say concentrate on your breathing, relax your pelvic floor, and you'll be able to get through it. So I had that done at the 41-week mark. So I was one week overdue. And um, as a result of that, I had a bit of bleeding the next day, but nothing much else. All whilst this was happening, I was, of course, trying all of the less invasive induction methods as well that I could try. Think absolutely everything under the sun. I was trying it. (laughs) I was going for acupuncture every other day. I was doing lots of curb walking with Isaac, if you saw that on our Instagram stories. Uh, My sister-in-law dropped over some clary sage oil and I was rubbing that on pressure points. I was completing the mile circuit, eating prunes, drinking raspberry leaf tea, you name it. Uh, you f- you end up feeling like a total mad woman. You're just smell smelling of all these weird things and doing all these strange things. So it's crazy, but you know all of that, nothing was happening. So I went back in to see my OB for a second stretch and sweep later that week. So I was really approaching that 42 week mark, 
This time when I had that done the next day after I'd had it, this is total TMI, but you're here listening to a birth story, so I'm a deliver. Oh, no pun intended. Um, I lost my mucus plug. Now, that is exactly what it sounds like. It was a bit of a shock when you go to pee and you you see that on the tissue, let me tell you. But it was also so exciting. You know, I text my mom, my best friend. I instantly jumped on Google and my mom Facebook group thinking, you know, right, this is it. My waters are going to break today. It's go time. This plug has, has dislodged and it's all good. Anyways, that dream came crashing down because both Google and my mum's Facebook group confirmed that labour can still be like a week away, even after losing your plug, and it can even grow back again. Oh, so that was a total bummer. So I was back to square one and nothing was happening. So now one week overdue, in Canada anyway, this is when you are advised to head into the hospital. So I was sent in for fetal monitoring just to check that there were no signs of baby distress. So I was strapped up with all the cables and listened to baby's heartbeat for 20 minutes, which was quite cool. Obviously, you don't get to do that during pregnancy. So it was really nice to hear them kicking around in there. And um, yeah, all was well. Then I also had to go and get an ultrasound and another ultrasound. Um, I hadn't had one since 20 weeks so again it was really exciting to see baby kicking around in there and um, that was for uh, a quality check basically of the placenta as it was now overdue just to make sure that that placenta isn't deteriorating with age <laughs> sounds so funny but um yeah all really important to check and everything came back looking fine so again it was clear that baby and pregnancy was all well he she just really didn't want to come yet but I had an added pressure to get this baby out. My parents were due to land in just five days' time. So this is where the problems of living abroad comes in. Obviously, we'd booked these flights at the beginning of my pregnancy and we could just, you know, give our best guess for for when they should fly out to meet baby. And I ideally wanted at least a week where Isaac and I could be home alone with the baby, kind of figure out what a three, you know, a family of three looks like before having any guests in our house and and that added pressure. But at this rate, my parents were going to arrive and and there wouldn't even be a baby yet. So I was messaging my mum every day, giving her updates. And yeah, despite buying flexible tickets, they would still have to pay the ticket price difference if they were to change it. So that ended up being nearly $1,000. So I really don't know what the point even is of paying extra for these flex tickets. But yeah, that's a whole nother episode. But you know, despite, you know, rushing potentially for my parents coming, I was as well so, so ready to have this baby. You know, when you get overdue, you get so huge, you get so uncomfortable everything in my body was tired. And on top of that, it was the summer. There was a heat wave going on. It was in the 30s, in the high 30s. I was just so uncomfortable, ready for the next step, ready to meet my baby. So at eight weeks overdue, I went into the hospital and had a Foley balloon inserted. Now, I'll let you Google that one. Let's just say it was not a fun time. It's a way to nudge the cervix to to start getting ready for labour. And they advised to leave this balloon in for 12 hours. So I went home and as I laid in bed to go to sleep that night... I just had the absolute worst period cramps of my life kick in. So I slept with one of those big lavender pillows that you heat up in the microwave, just wrapped around my stomach all night, didn't sleep very well. So yeah, it was pretty bad. 
went back into the hospital in the morning and they checked me and I was two centimeters dilated. Woohoo! <laughs> so I was quite disappointed with that. Obviously with all the pain that I'd gone through overnight, I thought I'd be way, way ahead, but they always encourage you, you know, don't focus on the numbers because you can really progress so fast. As soon as your body's ready, you could really go from two to 10 in, in no time at all. So I tried not to fixate on only being two. And yeah, they sent me back home and told me to leave the balloon in for another 12 hours. Went back into the hospital 12 hours later and they measured me again. I was still about the same. So you're seeing a pattern here. My easy, symptomless pregnancy where it was all rainbows and butterflies was finally catching up with me. I made jokes about it towards the end of my pregnancy. I knew that labor and the birth process was gonna kick my butt because it's just fair, isn't it? I mean, if you have an easy pregnancy, I knew it was coming for me. <laughs> so there we go. We were talking about the next step. What else can we do now to, to try and get things going? So the next method they suggested was a cervidal ribbon. So again, I'll let you Google it if you're interested, but it's basically a little ribbon of drugs that uh, will get your cervix to ripen. That's the goal. You want to get dilated more and more and get that cervix to ripen. So that's what I had next. And I got sent home again, 12 hours, see what happens. And yeah, they were so convinced. They said, you could potentially wake up in labor tonight. And I was speaking to mums in my group and they had the ribbon and they said, yep, the labor came so, so quick after that. So I was really optimistic, went to bed that night, didn't have any symptoms at all, which was nice considering the night before. And yeah, I woke up in the morning, June 7th, nothing. So I headed into the hospital just for some monitoring. Baby was still fine. They were laughing at how much the baby was moving around, kicking around in there. <laughs> I was like, you little, oh, just, you know, well, you're just so comfortable in there. You do not want to come out. So they did measure me. I was four centimeters. So that was great. Uh, there is some progress happening, but I was sent home. So I know that this birth story is dragging on and on and that's literally what it felt like. So I'm trying to get you guys to feel the frustration. <laughs> it is going on and on and on and I haven't even got really into labor yet. It's actually crazy. I'm saying to all my friends now, when you get pregnant, if you ever have to go through any induction processes, just let me know because I've had every single procedure under the sun. So I head home me and Isaac go for walks around our local lakefront, um, trying to get things going. And I start to feel some pains every now and then. And I didn't really know whether they were contractions or not at this point, because I was experiencing a lot of lightning crotch. <laughs> and I'd been feeling lightning crotch for weeks and weeks and weeks at this point. So it just felt like lightning crotch, if you want to Google that. But it's basically just this big, sharp pain that does feel really high up, like in your cervix area. And yeah, that started, you know, weeks and weeks before. So I was feeling that more and more. And I thought, hmm, is this just still lightning crotch or am I really feeling contractions now? And in the end, I was texting my labor and delivery nurse friend and she said, yes, that is probably contractions, Kate. How far apart are they? And uh, I remembered that I downloaded this app called Freya and I 100% recommend it. I think it's about $4 in the app store and it basically is a hypnobirthing coach. So you just hit the button when you feel pain and it times it for you. It plays soft music. It can prompt breathing techniques. So I pulled up that app and I started tapping the button whenever I felt this lightning crotch that I thought it was. And turns out that it was contractions because I was, I was feeling those things quite 
regularly every five, six minutes or so. And yeah, so that was great news. I actually thought, amazing. I'm feeling contractions. It's happening. Something's happening. My my cervix is dilating. Wonderful. <laughs> now, my goal was always to try and get to six centimeters at home. I didn't want to go into hospital too early. I wanted to avoid, you know, any medications or interventions, you know, as as much as I've had already at this point. And yeah, I wanted to just try and get to the six centimeters because then at least, you know, if I have an epidural or anything like that, it, it, there's less risk of it slowing down labor. So I had that goal in my head. I'm going to stay home as long as possible. So I was feeling these contractions. I was logging them in the Freya app and my phone rang and it was actually the hospital and they said, hey, uh, you know, we haven't heard from you since this morning. What's going on? And I told them, you know, the frequency of these pains I was having. And they said, yeah, you you should probably come into the hospital now, please. (laughs) You know, it, it made us laugh because, yeah, they were saying, you know, we really don't want you to just have a baby over there. You should probably come in. So we thought, yeah, okay, it's probably time to pack up our bags and come in. Um, They were getting quite painful at this point. So I arrived at the hospital. I was shown to my private room. Again, this was fantastic. You know, one of the best things about living in a smaller community in Canada. It's a very small community hospital. And I'd gotten to know a few of the nurses because me and Isaac had attended a Lamaze class, which is where you learn all about the labor and birth experience and how to look after babies afterwards and breathing and all of that. And it was a fantastic weekend course that we did. It was at the hospital. We could have a tour around the rooms afterwards, meet the nurses. So there's a real close-knit feel. And one of the nurses there actually had had been in the room when Isaac was born and his brothers were born. And you do, you know, she gets to see all of these generations come and go through through the hospital and see them out in the community. You know, I thought I was going to get a doula for that, you know, auntie, sister, warm feel. But I decided against getting a doula because I'd met the nurses and that was the feel that I got from them. And it was really fantastic. So if you're in a smaller community, you can look forward to that. Um, Another great benefit is, of course, the hospital, the labour and delivery ward, they only have six rooms. So they're all private. And so as that's the only option that the hospital offers, you don't have to pay any extra to have a private room, which I know in the larger hospitals, some of the mums that I've spoken to... um, they actually got a bill afterwards if they'd stayed in a private room. So again, a wonderful benefit of my hospital. I I absolutely loved it. So we checked into our room, our private room. It had a walk-in shower so you could have some hot water running on you. They have the balls, they have the rocking chairs. It was a really great space. There was a big pull-out couch for Isaac to to chill out on, a TV. Um, Yeah, so it was great. So we... We checked into there, got comfortable, and I just was trying to get through these contractions, basically. They wheeled in the gas and air and offered that to me. I know that that's a really popular thing in the UK, so I thought, yeah, sure, I'll give it a go uh, before I have anything else, you know, more more strong. And I really didn't like the feeling of it. It gave me kind of a whoopy feel um, in my head. I didn't like how I was reacting to it, so I kind of ditched that pretty quickly. And yeah, I was bouncing on the ball and doing my comb in my, the palm of my hand where you squeeze a comb. But yeah, the pain was just getting more and more and more intense. 
And yeah, my stance on epidurals is is that, you know, why would I keep going through this pain uh, when there is a method to, to take it away, but also to take control of the situation? Obviously, this is a really, really highly debated topic. Um, there are definitely pros and cons to it. It can slow labor. Um, it can, you know, have this waterfall effect where more and more interventions are now needed because you've had the epidural. I was well, well educated on everything. And I just wanted it. I asked for it. I was in pain. And I've seen all these amazing videos online where the women are in control of it uh, because you don't have the pain. You just have the pressure. You can feel the doctor. You can, I mean, you can hear the doctor instructing you what to do and you can take control. And I was really looking forward to that experience for myself. So I opted for the epidural and they sent a request out for the anesthesiologist to come in and do that for me. So at this point, I was around six or seven centimeters dilated. So I'd hit my goal, which was fantastic. I was so proud of myself and the anesthesiologist came in. Now, getting an epidural is really, really intense. Obviously, it's a very scary procedure to have anything to do with your spine. It was going through my head. Obviously, the risks, worst case scenarios come in your head. And the worst part is as well is you're having contractions while the anesthesiologist is is poking around back there. So it is very scary, but I had a fantastic nurse holding my hands, maintaining eye contact with me, breathing through the contractions so I didn't move. And unfortunately, it did take a few times for him to get the placement correctly in my back. It was quite a scary time, really. It took a lot longer than they told me it would, and he had to try multiple times. I unfortunately had a bit of a tricky back, I think. So that was very stressful, but he finally did place it after several tries. I found that very overwhelming, I would say. It hit me as soon as they put me back into the bed and linked up all of the tubes that comes with it and everything. I I had this emotional breakdown almost on the bed because that was crazy, you know, tensing your body for that amount of time and just hoping that it goes in this time. And it was, it, it wasn't the best experience, honestly. Um, but I was just looking forward to it being worth it in the end and having those medications kick in. So yeah, unfortunately I was one of those, one of those ones that didn't have the best epidural experience. Um, but I was looking forward to that pain relief, which I did get, uh, for the next two, three hours or so, I was watching One Tree Hill on my phone and I'd seen TikToks before where the husband points to the monitor and you can see the the line bumping up and down showing contractions and you're looking at the screen thinking, huh, cool, like I don't feel that anymore. So it was hilarious. I was watching my favorite show. I was, you know, laughing with Isaac, chatting, eating, all the things. So it was exactly like I dreamed it would be and I was looking forward to inching closer to, to meeting wonderful baby Malcolm. So yeah. Then it was time to have my delivery doctor come in. So my OB that I'd been getting to know over the last several weeks. And instead I had a nurse come in and they informed me that my OB had had a family emergency and had been called into Toronto. So that was just such a movie moment, right? You can't, you cannot even write these things. It was like, oh, sorry, your delivery doctor isn't available. And flashes of knocked up came in my head, you know, where she doesn't have her chosen doctor and she has all of these crazy doctors come in instead. And yeah, so that was just crazy. I just couldn't believe that it would happen to me. But obviously, 
you know, selfish reasons aside, she had a family emergency, a very real one. And, you know, such is life. You know, I'm sure that the doctor that I would be given would be more than qualified. And she was fantastic. She came in, she introduced herself and I loved her straight away. She had a wicked sense of humor. She was, you know, laughing with us and I really liked her vibe. Um, So yeah, it was fine in the end. And yeah, so she did the ice cube trick. So when you get an epidural, it's actually really funny. They take an ice cube and they start, you know, up your rib cage and they put the ice cube on your skin and they say, do you feel this? Do you feel the cold? And I say, yep, I feel the cold. And then they move it down slowly, slowly, slowly down your body. And you eventually don't feel the cold of the ice cube anymore. So they can see where it's kicking in. And yeah, so very strange, very, very strange experience. Um, I could definitely move my leg still. So that's a very important thing that I made sure the anesthesiologist understood that I would really want that mobility still. So there's a certain different levels of your spine that they can go into. And if they keep it shallow enough, enough, you can still keep some of that mobility, which means that you can, you know, get into a squat, for example, during labor, you can use a squat bar, you can get into different positions potentially with the help of nurses. Um, so you're not just laboring on your back and pushing on your back, which, you know, you're, you're working against gravity that way. You're working against the tailbone. So I really wanted to avoid pushing on my back. And I luckily did have that movement in my legs that I was able to, to, to get into the positions that I was looking forward to getting into. So all was well (laughs) until it wasn't. I was around eight centimetres when my contractions came back. They came back as painful, if not more painful than before I had the epidural. So to this day, I don't know what happened. Um, Obviously it failed. You hear stories of this happening. Unfortunately, I was one of them. Super, super, super bad luck. Um, So we were pressing the button for the epidural to, to administer the drugs. Nothing was happening. I was just getting these regular, very, very, very intense contractions. And I will continue to say it until my dying day that from that point on, I had a completely unmedicated labor, a natural labor, if you will. I hate that word because all birth is natural. But yes, I felt absolutely everything from that point on. But luckily, everything progressed quite quickly from there. It was very intense. I hit the 10 centimeter mark. The doctor came in and told me that I could push. And within an hour and a half, she was out. Isaac was yelling, it's a girl, it's a girl, it's a girl. It was an incredible, incredible moment. Um, I would definitely suggest not finding out the gender. I know it's more and more common now to have these gender reveals, but for that moment alone, when you find out whether you have a daughter or a son and it's your husband that announced it, it's, it's incredible. I will do it again and again if I do happen to have another one funny story about while I was pushing, (laughs) this other woman was wheeled into this small community hospital and she was also in active labor. But, you know, they said, oh, don't worry, you know, you're in active pushing. She's only maybe seven centimeters dilated. So it's all good. We're all in here for you. Let's go. I had a room full of nurses. It was incredible. Um, This girl got put into one of the rooms uh, on the ward a couple of doors down from me. And I was getting so frustrated you know when you're pushing and this head won't come out and it's a whole intense mission that you have to really get your mind around and just keep going and so much energy you're putting into it and then all of a sudden we hear this baby crying (laughs) 
a couple of doors down and I couldn't believe it. I went, what? She's beat me? What the hell? I couldn't believe it. So it was kind of this competition going on between us. They said, it's not a race. Don't worry. It's her second or third baby. So it naturally goes a lot quicker. But anyway, that was so funny. We couldn't believe it when she'd wheeled in way after me. And then we heard that baby crying. But again, it was another motivation that I needed. I wanted to hear my baby cry and um, I went for it. So yeah, Sienna Joy was born. It was one... 30 or so in the morning and yeah intense a whole massive blur I don't really remember much about it I just remember facetiming my mum and dad (laughs) I still can't believe I did this but for some reason in my post-birth blur I did the time difference maths and I thought oh it's like three o'clock in the morning by the time that they'd done stitches and all the things that they need to do and I thought three four five six seven eight a.m in the UK (gasps) let's call mum and dad so I had facetime my mum and dad and I was God knows what all over the the bed and she uh, was being introduced to my mum and dad over FaceTime. So that was crazy, but super special as well. So June 8th, 2023, me and Isaac became parents. And yeah, that that night, it was already 3am at that point. But um, yeah, the nurses were fantastic. We were trying to grab some sleep afterwards as much as we could. And they would take the baby if, um, if we wanted them to, if we wanted to catch some shut eye and the baby was crying, they would wheel the baby out and keep her at the nurse's station and give us some much needed rest, which was great. And yeah, we woke up in the morning and the nurses came in and they were showing me again how to try and get the baby to latch and helping me with my breastfeeding journey. So it was a really loving, supportive environment from from the very beginning, really. And even postpartum, um, the support that I got afterwards was fantastic from the nurses as well. I wouldn't expect anything less at that wonderful hospital. Um, Yeah, so that Friday, the June 9th, the day after I gave birth, was when my parents touched down at Pearson International Airport. And it it worked out great, really. I always thought that I would want that week with just Isaac and I, but it worked out fantastic, honestly, to, to be dispatched from the hospital that day, to come home. And then Isaac ran off to, to the GO station to pick up my parents. And I had this incredible moment where they walked into my house house in Canada and I handed them their first grandchild. Now that's incredible, you know, to live halfway across the world from your parents. I'm so, so close with them. I love them with all my heart and, you know, living so far away from them and starting my own family. I'll dive much deeper into it very, very soon. But uh, yeah, just that moment alone where I so, so fresh and so soon after the birth, it was really special because, you know, a lot of people don't don't have that moment um, for, for a while afterwards, but they saw her, you know, within hours of her life and they were, you know, with us for seven days. So we had the first week of Sienna's life with her nanny and granddad from England and that time was so special. So I'm really happy about how it actually turned out and I wouldn't have changed it to, to have that extra support. My mum was there and, you know, cooking us amazing meals. <laughs> you know, you can't beat your mum's cooking. And, you know, my dad was on hand for all these cuddles and bonding and both of them were and it was just, it was such a special moment and I'll never, ever, ever forget it. We've got fantastic photos and yeah, all the things. But as you can imagine, seven days after you give birth, it's 
it's a complete blur. It went by in a blink of an eye and my parents were already packing up their suitcases and heading out. And that was really heartbreaking. You know, we weren't really sure at that point when we would see them again. You know, we thought, okay, Christmas time for sure, but that's, you know, six months away. So, you know, it was extremely sad. I thought I would shed a tear, but I think just all of the emotions and the hormones running through me, I was dried out by that point, but I did feel very numb, you know, seeing their their car drive away and we were just waving as they drove away. And, you know, it's really tough because, you know, when you have your first baby, it's often the case that your parents live so close and they can pop in any time and they can, you know, offer a hand if you've had a sleepless night, especially with your mum as well, you know, just having that female connection and that support. So, yeah, really tough to see them drive away. And yeah, I know that was very, very lucky to have them for those seven days, but it went really far too quickly. And yeah, then it really kicked in that I was alone, really. Um, You know, you can get so much support from your in-laws, but it's never the same, is it? It's not your immediate family. It's not the connection that you have with your parents. So I knew that it was going to be really tough and I would really need to lean on Isaac for for that husband support to, to fill in that gap, really. Luckily, again, the Canadian healthcare system kicked in when I needed it. It really is incredible. I will always shout its benefits from the rooftops because, you know, I had a really close relationship with my delivery doctor. She called me in and, you know, asked me how I was very, very quickly afterwards within a couple of days. Then I had another week follow up. Um, We were going in checking on Sienna as well. And, you know, during those appointments, they ask you about your mindset, about your mood, and you can chat through any feelings that you have. So I felt really supported. Not only that, I also got an in-home lactation consultant, which was incredible. Again, it's completely uh, paid for by the healthcare in Canada and just ask your doctor about it. But I was struggling at first with my breastfeeding. The latch wasn't great. It was really painful. So she actually came to my house and it was an in-home visit and she sat with me, watched what I was doing and gave me invaluable tips. Like I wouldn't be breastfeeding today if it wasn't for that woman. She was fantastic. So ask your doctor about that as well. And I mentioned it at the beginning of the episode, but the acupuncture, your registered massage therapy, your pelvic floor physio, that is a huge, huge one um, to prepare you for labor and birth, but also um, postpartum, obviously getting things, uh, you know, rehabbed <laughs> after the fact. So all of these services as well, they can come at quite a premium cost. Uh, I know in the UK, you're going to be paying out of pocket privately for, for a lot of those things. And in Canada, if you are lucky enough to have an employer that offers work benefits, um, that can actually be covered as well. So whether fully covered or partially covered, I have been taking advantage of my work benefits for those services. So check that out as well. Another amazing bonus about Canada. And finally, I know I haven't personally used this service yet, but I know a friend of mine has. If you are struggling postpartum in an ongoing way, then you can as well get virtual counselling sessions paid for, which I know I can only imagine how valuable that would be as well. And I think it was 10 10 sessions that my friend took advantage of. So there are amazing providers and services in Canada for people that have just given birth and just started a family and going through all of the things. And yeah, postpartum support wise, I have been nothing but impressed and nothing but supported by the healthcare system in Canada. 
All of that to say, though, the postpartum period is is mad. It's so mad. I find myself having the most incredible, happy, energetic days. And then within 24 hours, I've crashed and I have the most cripplingly emotional days that I've ever experienced in my life. You know, the hormones that you go through and the emotions that you go through are just out of this world. So I thought it would be really valuable to touch on what I've experienced postpartum from a mental health perspective as a newcomer in Canada, the guilt, um, how I feel about my family being so far away, finding my own village here, all of the things. I'm going to dive into it now um, and then offer some tips and advice that I found to be useful to try and work through those emotions for myself during this time. So I really hope that this helps you. Uh, So yeah, let's dive in. Let's talk about the guilt first off. This one is obvious and I was already feeling it pretty heavily during my pregnancy. You've started a family far away from your loved ones. You feel guilty that you've taken their grandchild, niece, nephew far, far away. And not only that, your child is also missing out on living close to them as well. The relationship they have will you know, look a lot different than if they lived around the corner. So you battle this guilt in your head, you know, did I do the right thing? The relationship won't be as strong. They'll miss out on so much. And it's like you're dealing with a loss. You're grieving this alternate reality where your mum pops in every day for a coffee to to fold your laundry, to make you a nice dinner. Your, your best friend from school comes over and you can vent about motherhood together. Your postpartum experience would be filled with so much more support if you were back home. So, that leads to this feeling of of crippling loneliness. It's it's true what they say, it takes a village and and when you live in a different country, that village isn't filled with the people you always thought it would be. So yeah, it looks very different. And I struggled a lot with this and still continue to, honestly. I have days where I want to go back to the UK with Sienna and, and have that support system, that feeling of home, of safety, of familiarity, of warmth and love around me. Because Of course, you know, Isaac is wonderful. He's an amazing husband and dad and has been there for me so, so much throughout this whole crazy experience so far. But as a new mother, you can't ask or get everything you need just just from the one person you, you need more. So that's what I've been battling with these past eight weeks. Some things that I've found helpful are communication, I'm absolutely terrible at opening up and sharing how I'm feeling with Isaac and that's just a recipe for disaster. I'm slowly learning to spell out exactly what I need from him, delegate to-dos when I'm feeling burnt out or overstimulated and also just letting him know when I'm feeling sad. You know, he's my partner and we ultimately are building this life and new family together so I have to remind myself not to go through it alone. But not only Isaac, reaching out to friends that I have here in Canada and and not waiting for them to to come to me. You know, all those baby visits you get at the beginning do unfortunately run out. And yeah, sometimes it takes effort on your part to, to reach out and plan some friend dates because yeah, they really do wonders. 
The second thing is mom groups. I used the app Peanut when I was pregnant, which is fantastic. It actually works just like a dating app, like Tinder, but you read and swipe on profiles of local pregnant women in your area. So it's such a game changer. And now I'm part of a group of over 30 women with babies around the same age as Sienna. And yeah, we have regular meetups, attend yoga classes, park walks every week, as well as have a Facebook chat for any motherhood questions we need answering. So it's been such a support to to find others going through the exact same journey as me. I read this quote online. It said, when you're up at 3am with a screaming baby and you're on two hours sleep and you're crying out of frustration and you feel so, so alone, there are nursery lights on all over the world doing the same thing you are. You are never alone. So communication and connection in Canada is so important. So you've moved here and it's your responsibility to seek out that connection and to, and to communicate your needs and, and find, go out and find it. But it's also vital to nurture those relationships with loved ones back home. So how can you do that? If you're able, always have a flight booked in the future to look forward to and count down towards. This has always done wonders for my homesickness, even if it's a year, two years away. If this isn't possible, regularly schedule those FaceTimes. We all know it's not the same, but it's the best we've got you know, connect as much as possible, send them photos and videos, even the silly little updates you don't think they'll care about, make them feel included in the baby's progress and milestones. I actually brought my parents a digital frame so I can upload new photos and it appears on their end instantly. So that has been really fun as well and a really fun way of connecting across oceans. And just think about how special it will be when you are eventually in the same room as each other. And it can be really tough to do that when it's so far in the future. But it has really, really helped me. Um, You know, yes, they can't just stop by your house for a 20 minute coffee chat. But instead, when you or they do visit, you get to spend a week, two weeks or more with them 24-7 for deep connection and quality time. Time that you will never take for granted because you're treasuring every moment, which is always so special. You'll always make so many amazing memories that way too. You know, homesickness and missing loved ones will always be a part of living abroad. It's just one of those things that we have to learn to live with. There's no cure for it. Um, We just have to learn to see the positives in it, you know, any way that we can. Next is getting outside. I cannot stress enough how important getting out of the house is. It took me way longer than I ever thought it would for me to leave my house. I was so, I had so much cabin fever and I didn't realize the impact it was having on me. But as soon as I felt physically able to, I took that baby out for walks, you know, breathing in that fresh air. It's great for both of you. And it really, really does make a difference. You can even just walk down to the end of the block and back again, just take it in small steps, but get outside. Don't just stay in your own house. And finally, you know me, it's all about trying to shift your mindset. Whenever I feel myself going into a rut, I have to stop myself and refocus my mindset. You know, as with moving to a new country, having a baby is also a huge life transition. So all the same mindset shifts can kick into play. You know, give yourself time 
to adjust. Be patient as it will take time. Don't compare your experience to anyone else's and yeah, you will have good days and bad days and just ride that roller coaster because it's all totally normal. Remind yourself of your why, the reason you moved to Canada, the benefits living here will have for your new baby and family. I regularly remind myself that I'm a new person now. I'm a mother. I'll never be the same. Life will always be different now, but this new version is magical and Sienna gets to be a part of it all now. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I feel that being vulnerable is so important so that we can see ourselves in each other's experiences and we can get so much comfort and advice from that. So thanks for being here. If this has helped you in any way, I would really love to hear from you. Please send me a DM on Instagram at the Newcomer Collective or shoot me an email to info at thenewcomercollective.com. Now I can jump back into interviewing other newcomers to Canada, learning about their immigration journeys, and I have some really exciting expert episodes coming up as well. So I have real estate agents, indigenous peoples, psychiatrists, and even Parks Canada reps. So I'll see you in the next episode. <laughs>